0: Thanks for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. I flow a little bit. Y'all ain't y'all ain't talking back to me. Are, are y'all talking back this morning? Are y'all talking back this morning? Y'all acting like it's nine thirty. It's almost eleven o'clock. <clears throat> Amen. Man, thank God for all of God's people in the house. So good to see Pastor Cole and Matthew and call and the children. Amen. Amen. So good to see all of you today. Amen. They called me the king of the Jews when I thought I was your son. They mocked me and got me confused. They're telling me to save myself if I'm the chosen one. I got the cross. You know I got the cross. Walk the streets with criminals because I worked for the boss. Whether you found or lost, clean cut or a thug, my father has chosen me to sacrifice for love. So forgive them, Lord, for they know what's popping. If it takes me to die, then there's no other option. Say lie. Bars. Yeah. Yeah. I learned to spit, even if y'all ain't saying nothing. I just got to just get it off my chest. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Brother Wind. I appreciate you. (laughs) John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 23. We've spent the last couple of weeks in the book of Luke. And, but today we're going to flip over to the book of John. We're going to skip ahead to the book of John. So good to see my dear and lovely, beautiful auntie Marilyn back in the house of the Lord today. We have missed her. We have missed her, but the Lord is touching her body and raising her up. Amen. And we give the Lord praise. Hello, somebody. We give the Lord praise. Amen. And my cousin, her baby girl, is in town from California, came to see about mama. And she came to church today. My cousin Nina, thank God for her. Come on, give my cousin a hand. Thank God for family. Thank God for how he's touching my wife's body who was out ill last Sunday and was down all week. But she's back in the house of the Lord today. Thank God for Lady Courtney. John chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Hmm. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time, somebody say from that time. In other translations, it may say that very hour. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I want to use for a subject for this installment of the series, Bars from the Cross, I want to use for its title this morning, Focus on the Family. Somebody say, Focus on the Family. I pray that you all are praying for me because I know this may be a tough one to deal with, but we got to deal with it. We walk through the first two words uh, from Jesus while on the cross as recorded by Luke. And in week one, we dealt with the importance of, and this one was very tough, forgiving, but not just forgiving, forgiving fast. When we examine the words of Christ as he was there on the cross, the first words recorded by uh, the gospel of Luke, he says to them, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Emphasizing on the word doing, meaning that Jesus was forgiving them even while it was happening. And how some of us we like to wait, and we we want to hold on to the offense, and we want to make sure people know around us what they did to us to hurt us and to afflict us or to offend us. But Jesus modeled while he is on the cross, he modeled while we're in the, while they are in the midst of offending us, that it is our responsibility to forgive them. Because the longer we hold on to the offense, the deeper it sets. But if we but if we release it quickly and we and if we forgive fast, like Jesus did, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing, then we have a better chance of moving on into the greater purpose that God has for our lives. If y'all know what I'm talking about, it's true. Somebody say amen. amen. Then last week, week two, we dealt, we discussed with or we dealt with the instantaneous salvation that is given to us by grace through faith when Jesus said to the thief that was on the cross this day, you're going to be with me in paradise. We talked about the amazing, all-fulfilling grace of God. I think this is a good place to pause. Anybody here thankful for the amazing grace of God? I mean, I mean, are you really thankful for his grace? You know, that unmerited favor that he shares upon your life. Somebody ought to just holler out, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Hallelujah. For it is by grace that we are saved today. This week we're gonna skip over to the book of John. John chapter 19 is where we are. And when we look at the beginning of this passage, this passage begins to describe the actions, and it really focuses on the actions of the soldiers. Four soldiers that actually put the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet and hoisted the cross up and put the spear in his side. Just four of them that were there. And it begins to talk about the actions or the activity that they began to do while Jesus is there on the cross. It's interesting because Jesus hadn't been nailed to the cross for any long, lengthy period of time and yet they were already divvying up his clothes. You can look there in verse 23. They're already, you know, he, I mean, he ain't been there long, y'all. <laughs> he, he ain't been there long, but they're already divvying up his clothes. And each one of them, they, they took a piece, and there were four of them. And they divided up into four different parts, and they gave it to, but then when you get to verse 24, uh you see something that was very important. may seem very insignificant, but it was very significant. Because this was prophecy being fulfilled. When you go back into the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 22, verse verse 18, uh, when they literally begin to cast lots to determine, watch this, who's going to get the most expensive piece of clothing? Who, who's gonna get the most expensive piece of cloth? Don't miss this. The soldiers, you gotta catch this. The soldiers cast lots to decide who got Jesus' undergarments. They cast lots of it. Maybe I didn't make it clear, so let me go ahead and bring it. They use this method to determine who's gonna get his used underwear. Now, I wonder, what would you spend? What, what price would you pay for some used underwear? Y'all, y'all see y'all laugh, but you know, there's people in our world and our society that pay top dollar for crazy things of famous people. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me in this place. Uh, 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 I mean, J.K. Rowling's chair, his chair, the chair that he used to sit in, sold for three hundred and ninety-four thousand dollars. A lock, a lock, a strand of Justin Bieber's hair. Are you all ready for this? A strand of, of the Biebs' hair, the Biebs. A strand of his hair sold for forty thousand dollars. Oh, and if y'all thought that was crazy, Britney Spears. I'm too sick. No, that's okay. Britney, a piece of her chewed gum. I mean, this is nasty, y'all. I I don't care how you try to dress it up and sanitize this. A piece of her chewed gum sold for $14,000 in an auction. Now, you might think, What senseless activity by that of the soldiers? Why in the world would they gamble for his underwear? Why in the world would they begin to do a lottery system for his undergarments? But I would have you to know that it was necessary. It was necessary because it was the fulfillment of prophecy. And the fulfillment of prophecy gave credence to the fact that not only was the death of Jesus the will of God, but everything surrounding it was purposed by the Father. See, you may be sitting here today and you may be wondering some of the things that may be going on in your life and the things that you may uh, deem as, man, this is just pointless. Why am I going through? But I come by here to tell you this morning that it was necessary. Why didn't that relationship work? Let me just tell you something, my brothers and my sisters, because it was necessary. Why did I have a child this young in my life? Let me just tell you something, because it was necessary. Why am I going to church here in Highland Park? Let me just tell you something, it is necessary. It's necessary for, because the plan of purpose of God has to be fulfilled in your life. And just like the Apostle Paul begins to admonish us in Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love God and who are, watch this, the cord according to his purpose. God has a purpose and a plan for you, and you've got to know that whatever it is that you may be going through, though you may be going through a lot of affliction right now, it is necessary. and It is necessary for you to go through what you're going through because God has a greater plan in his mind for you, in you, through you, and God is working all things together for your good. Let me just tell you something. Even your bad is working together for your good. Hello, somebody. It may not feel good while it's working, but it's Working together for your good. Look at somebody and say, It was necessary. It was necessary. Not only was it necessary, but you got to think about how even Jesus even got that garment. That God began working the plan in his life for his life even before that particular moment even happened. Think about the seamstress. I'm going to make a garment that's not going to have any seams on it, one piece. Come on, m- most, of our, most of our shirts or clothes that we wear, they, it's intricate. But this happened and it was seamless. And that became very important because it was expensive. Things that are odd are expensive. Y'all sleep over here. Let me talk to this side. Things that are rare are expensive. In other words, it has great value because it's not like everything else. See, some of y'all in this place, you may just be down on yourself because you're not like everybody else, but God is sitting me by here to tell you that's because the rarity brings about the increase in your value and you are expensive. So the casting of lots for his undergarments might seem insignificant, but it was necessary to fulfill prophecy. The significance of the garment being seamless is that the soldiers, because it was a seamless garment, the soldiers were then led to draw lots for it. And that's what brought about the echoing of the prophecy in the book of Psalms, chapter 22, verse 18. And watch this. This was the first of four Old Testament passages cited as being the fulfilled in Jesus' passion, all of which refer to particular details that take place during the crucifixion. And then here we have John. John begins to marshal these texts around the most central and even the most scandalous moments in order to show that the death of God's Son was in fact the will of the Father. (laughs) The death of God's Son. He was doing this. He talked about it way back in the Old Testament, and he brought it about to pass to show that it was the fulfillment of God's will, even for his own son, to be put to death. So behind the idea of this fulfillment notion of God's sovereign control, scriptures expresses God's will, and watch this and it also expresses Jesus' submission to God's will. See, I think that we must understand that it's not enough for us just to recognize the will of God for our life, but it's equally important for us to recognize that we must submit to the will of God for our life. Because, see, the will of God for your life will take you places that you haven't even dreamed of. But if you never submit to that will, you'll never get there. It's just like if I cut on my Google Maps or Apple Maps, whatever it is that you prefer to act as a GPS system to take you from here to a desired destination, if it's telling you, go up the road, make a right, Three, three and a half miles down, you're going to make a left, make that left. If I start doing the direct opposite of what it's telling me to do, I'm never going to get to where it is that I'm trying to go. Especially if I've never been there before. See, and I'm trying to tell you, God is trying to, t- under, to, to, to unveil to you that he wants to take you to a place that you've never been before. And when you go to that place, it takes us back to our very first sermon series, core Truth. It requires us to have a very sensitive ear to what it is that God is saying to us. And the, only way, and the only way for us to be able to do that is for us to turn down the distractions around us so that we can have an ear to hear what it is that he's saying to his church. Let me go on. You must understand that, and I think this is very interesting. While the soldiers were focused on themselves, and while they were taking what they wanted, Jesus was concerned with taking care of others. While the soldiers were concerned about taking care of themselves and taking what they wanted, Jesus was concerned about taking care of others. On the cross, Jesus was taking care of the final arrangements for his mother even in the middle of his own suffering. Lord, help me preach this, to, this today. I don't know about you, but sometimes we go through these moments in our lives where we feel like, don't they understand what I'm going through? The audacity of my family. They, they know I'm going through something and they keep calling on me. I can't believe that they know I'm 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 troubled on every side and they keep calling on me. Jesus was dying. And he thought it was important enough to care for his mother. Here's the principal point. Don't miss this. I'm going to give it to you right now. On the cross, Jesus took care of his family's needs despite what he was going through. Despite what he was going through, he still made sure that he was taking care of his family. Here's the practice point. This this is where we got to begin to practice. And y'all not going to like me after this one, but I'm going to say it anyhow. We must remain committed to loving and providing for our family no matter what. No matter what. See, first of all, we got to learn How to love our parents, no matter what. Yes, I know sometimes our parents misunderstand us. They even disapprove of decisions that we make. And sometimes they can hurt us grievously. I can remember when my daddy, when I was asked to pastor this church the first time. And I remember going to my daddy. <laughs> and I never get his, his response to me. He was like, is that what you want to do? <laughs> and all that hurt. And I knew the place that he was coming from because there was always, even when we, when my wife and I, we left my grandfather's church, which was the toughest, hardest decision that I ever had to make, when we left that church, I knew that there was this deep-seted desire for us to, you know, once we left, come back after a while and take over the work that granddaddy started. But his response in that moment was, is that what you want to do? And all that hurt, because most times the things that hurt the most come of those that are the closest to us. Because the hurt is proportional to intimacy. Someone far from me can say something to me, (laughs) and they think they're really liking it to me, but I'm like, you know, be, your voice don't really carry that kind of weight in my life. And that's a lesson for some of us in this room today. You can't let everybody's voice carry the same weight in your life. Because otherwise you'll walk around bleeding and scarred all the time. Everybody can't have that type of weight in your, voice, in, in, in your life. Everybody can't carry the same weight in your life. They, they, they just can't. It, it should not happen. should not be that way. But because he was so close, I valued, but my dad was like like the chairman of the board of directors for my life <laughs> here on earth. Talked to him about everything. He was the best man at my wedding. I mean, I, I ran everything by him. And so when he said that, the way he said it, it just, it, it scarred me. But I still had to love my Daddy. Jesus felt or faced some of the same difficulties in his life. Oh, you think? Oh, I, oh, 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 okay, okay. So, so y'all think that Jesus never had to have family issues? Oh, le, le, let me, let me correct this because Jesus too had felt hurt from the misunderstanding of his family. Watch this, even his own mama. See, we must learn to love our family even when, here's the first point, even when they don't understand you. Because when we go back and look to in the book of John, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, it's known as the first recorded miracle. The first recorded miracle of Christ, which, which is when he did what? Turn water into water. Listen to what it says. he says. He, here they were at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Mary pushed Jesus to change water to wine. Watch this, even though he tells her, My time has not yet come. He understood full well his purpose and his assignment here on earth. And, but his mother did not have that inclination. And she's pushing him to do things ahead of schedule. Yeah. Anybody in this room ever had your parents push you to do things when you knew it just wasn't quite the time to do it? Oh, you already shot right there. But, but let's not miss this. Jesus did it anyway. And my mom over there like, yup. He did it anyhow. Why? Because we must love our family even when they don't understand. Oh, and that wasn't the only moment. Let me take you to point number two. We must love our family even when they don't support you. Listen, I knew I won't get too many many AAAs this morning, but that's all right. Because when you skip over into the gospel of the book of St. Mark, Mark chapter 3, verses 21, and then the the account of the story, verses 31 through 35, his family thought, watch this, this this is what the Bible says. His family thought, watch this, he is out of his mind, and they went, the scripture says, and they went to take charge of him. And it was his brothers and apparently his mother Mary with them. They're saying about Jesus. Oh, he didn't lost his mind. We got to go up. Come on, come on, come on, come on, boys. Let's go. We got to go up in there and just take charge of him because he is gone crazy. They didn't understand him, and they didn't support him, and he still loved them. Let me go ahead and step on that other toe. We got to love our family even when they don't believe in you. John chapter 7 verse 5 it says even his own brothers did not believe in him and he still loved his family why am I saying this because whether they understand or even approve of us whether we can even trust them at this point in our lives, we are told by the scriptures to honor our father and our mother. Oh, I didn't put it in there. It was there when I opened it. I didn't, I, I didn't put it in the Bible. It, it was there when I, when I walked in the room. Exodus 20 and 12, honor Your father. And your mother. The first command, watch this, with promise. Holy Spirit, prepare me for this even before before the day even got here. It's all right. Because the promise is that your days may be long upon the earth. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody say honor. And I know this is tough. I know this is difficult because of various, very complex, uh, confusing, and different dynamics as a part of our earthly relationships with our parents. But let me just tell you something. A Christ-powered love can help heal the hurts from our families. This cannot happen. It will not happen. It just absolutely won't happen outside of having a Christ powered kind of love. We must love our parents. Because we have a responsibility for our family. Listen. We are responsible for our family obligations. Because Jesus was clear that his disciples must put, watch this, his disciples must put commitment to him above family relationships. He was very clear about that. Sometimes even using, I mean, hyperbole to drive home this point. But our obedience to Christ, watch this, must become primary and our obedience to our parents must become secondary. Now, having said that, watch this. Just because, just because we are Christians doesn't mean that we are absolved from family obligations. Because the Apostle Paul is very adamant about this. And let's, I want, I put this in because this was just, this hit me in the chest. 1 Timothy 5 and 8, watch this, if anyone does not, I think we have it on the screen, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think I need to read that again. If anyone does not provide for his family, for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I believe that when we're immature believers sometimes we take rash actions toward our families in retrospect when, when in, with that, that in retrospect weren't filled with Christ's love our priorities must be clear God himself first our families second And our work for God, third. And let me just say something. See, the problem is a lot of times we confuse God Himself and the work for God as the same thing. And it's not. It's not. It's not. So how do we reconcile our primary commitment to Jesus with our responsibility to our families? I'll just be honest. Sometimes it's with great difficulty. I mean, great difficulty. But I believe this. Listen to me good, my brothers and sisters. I believe this, that when we put Christ first, it doesn't mean that we are free to neglect our other priorities. It means that we get our priorities in proper relation to one another. And that our God will give us the wisdom to work this whole thing out. Are y'all hearing me good today? God will give us the wisdom to reconcile it and work it all out. Because when we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, All the other things will be added unto us. When we don't seek him first, we we, will be added to the things. And then the things begin to control us. Some of us have been going around walking in a very confused state because we allow things to control us. And when things are controlling us, it's an indication that the priorities are not in order. I gotta get my priorities right. We gotta get our priorities right. We must understand and take a cue from Jesus about this word that he's talking about. He focuses on his family in his time of death. And he says, woman, and see, I know in our culture, we look at this and we say, man, Jesus being real harsh. But that's not the case. In that, in that day and time, the word woman was actually a term of endearment. It's actually properly translated like the NIV says, dear woman. He wasn't saying, he, he wasn't being disrespectful because a lot of people say like that, because well, that's, that's how he responded to his mom at the wedding. And she said, hey, Jesus, turn water into wine. And he says, woman? No, that's not the tone. <laughs> Jesus wasn't being like James Evans to Florida. He wasn't, Woman? No, he he wasn't saying that. He he was saying, dear woman, this is not my time. But he did it anyway. And while he's on the cross, he used that same term. And it has a little bit of a formality to it. But I think in this moment, Jesus had to have a little tone of formality because he had to bring about a little bit of a disconnect from his mom at that moment, because he recognized what she's viewing and what she's going through right now is very tough for her. He looks at her and says, dear woman, I'm not gonna leave you alone. Behold your son. Now this is very interesting because John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, when you really dig into the scriptures and you really start kind of study and start connecting dots, you come up with this. John was actually Jesus' cousin. The disciple whom he loved. Because it says it had four women there at the foot of the cross. Mary, then it says this, Mary's sister, Jesus' auntie, when you begin tracing those, you begin to realize that that was Salome. Salome was the same person who came to Jesus and says, hey, I got two sons. Can each one of them sit on your right or on your left? (laughs) Sound like an auntie move, don't it? (laughs) That's all an auntie move. Hey, now you know when you uh when you start when you start blowing up Jesus, you know why don't you, bring, why don't you hook your cousins up with you, you know, <laughs> and 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 James and John, brothers, sons of thunder, Zebedee, they were included in Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter. And so here you have, all the other disciples ran off, but you got Mary, who by a lot of indications at this point, was uh, uh, a widow woman. Because there's no sign or even talk of Joseph being anywhere around. So we, we come to the conclusion that maybe he had, had, had passed away. And so by culture, the oldest son is to take care of the mother. And so here Jesus was not being so high-minded that he was not free, that, that he was forgetting his earthly responsibilities. He sees his mother there at the foot of the cross, and he also sees his cousin, the disciple, the one who's a part of his inner circle, the one who they say whom Jesus loved. He's there too, and he says, "Dear woman, behold your son." son behold your mother and the scripture says at that very hour at that very time he took her in to his home i mean talk about trying to reconcile be your obedience, and your family life. But he did it. I know that we live in a day that relationships between family can be very complicated. But I believe that the Lord wants to send healing even in that area of our lives. And I know for some of us in this place, this was hard to even hear. I mean, this was hard to even receive because, man, some of the some of the, and I'll even go as far as saying, some of the toxic relationships that we have with our family. Whew. Oh, that's why, I mean, I mean, some of us take that scripture very literal. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord because I can't wait to get out of this house with these folk. Let me just tell you something. Jesus wants to heal every part of our life. He can heal the relationship between you and your mother. He can heal the relationship between you and your father. He can heal, and I'm done. He can heal the relationship between you and your siblings. Y'all ain't been tight since mama passed away. Everything ain't been right since, since big mama passed away. But God says, I want to heal that relationship because your family dynamic is just as important as, come on, somebody. God gave us a spiritual family, and I tell you, I love my spiritual family. Y'all give me a big ear hug. I love y'all. But let me tell you something I can't love y'all and not be concerned about Deron. I can't love y'all and treat Damon like an outsider. Come on, y'all stand. And and I'm not even going to draw this out. I'm going to just be very quick to the point. If you're in this place and you know that there are some, there are some things, there are some situations, there are some relationships in your family, we're going to deal with family here today. There are some relationships in your family, and you even while I'm talking, even making your way down here to this altar, there are some situations in your family that you know you need to get right. I want you to make your way down here to this altar because we're going to pray that God will give you the wisdom to reconcile your faith and family together. God is going to cause the relationships between you and your family to be healed. He's going to heal the relationship. There are scars. There's a lot of scar tissue around that relationship. Let me tell you something there is nothing too hard for God. God is able to heal it. God is able to touch it. God is able to redeem it. You may have thought you lost time. You may have thought, hey, man, 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 it has been so much time. God can redeem the time and cause the relationship to be jailed together and mended together. He is the mender of not only hearts, but he's the mender of relationships. to the revival tabernacle podcast wherever you may be listening from we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering unconditional love of jesus christ join us as we reach sinners, raise believers and release leaders please enjoy the message from the rt pulpit